0: Obviously, it's not a controlled study, but I have been employing the scientific method, in, and you know, in that, I am you know taking diligent notes, and I'm only sort of changing one variable at a time um, <laughs> at, at, at each successive um, trial. And the hypothesis is that one of the many uh, cleaning products I have on the boat will cure the coronavirus that I have.
1: Well, you're like one of those uh, 19th century scientists that's just feeding themselves a little bit more mercury every day, <laughs> just taking notes on it <laughs> to see what happens. But you're just doing that with uh, you're like Dr. Bronner's.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I don't have any Dr. Bronners, um, but uh, yeah, that would probably be. <laughs> so what? What cleaning? My money is solutions on. You I mean, listen. Everyone immediately jumps to bleach, which I, you know. Very obvious, predictable, but my money is on my go-to cleaning product for everything, and that's Simple Green. I got it in the spray bottle, and I got the big jug of concentrate to refill it from, and I think that's going to work.
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you what, we use that in the shop, actually, so I, I think you might be onto to something. I personally have, um, I'm not a big fan of needles. I'm actually quite squeamish, so I've just been injecting it through my mouth hole. Uh, but the thing that my mom used to clean everything, which is palm olive, and I just feel like if it cleans my dishes, it's got to clean my insides. I feel pretty good about it.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm actually looking at a picture right now of the under-sink uh, cleaning product space of another simple green man, and that is Charles Mudede. His post <laughs> titled, uh, this photo of his uh, cleaning supplies accompanying his post titled, American Empire Ends with the Injection of a Disinfectant. And I'd just like to read the first paragraph. There is no doubt Trump's hashtag, inject disinfectant to cure the coronavirus is all about the end of an empire. The fact that he could suggest such a thing on TV can only be explained by the absence of a floor to American civilization. (laughs) It no longer exists. There is no bottom. Uh, And I mean, that is... Yeah. Uh I mean, have you have you seen this clip? Like we don't need we're not going to play it. We're not going to spend too long talking about it cuz you're going to hear about this on a bunch of other podcasts, but holy shit, man. It it's to go into all the ins and outs of like what must be going through his head and like the specific ways in which this is insane and stupid. Like would just I mean, it would just drive a person mad. It's so perfect. It's like he's like parodying himself jumping his own shark. Yeah. It's just it's two laps around the fucking moon
1: yeah i mean this is what it looks like uh when the ruling class offers you nothing right they don't just come out and say nothing they say hey why don't you put bleach in a needle and just inject it into your neck and see what happens awesome yeah cool i love it can't wait also be a A king again
0: his (laughs) hit hit me up hit me with that simple green and uh oh another thing when we come back i've got another uh astringent to inject into our
1: bloodstream. Uh, it's called The New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus, you don't stand a chance to these witticisms. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle Sucks podcast, the podcast about Colin and us missing him, us desperately wanting him to come back, our sadness that he's not here with (laughs) us anymore. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I I was just
0: choking on my stogie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep because colin, colin has had brought, a baby yeah he has brought new life into this world this world that is suffering from disease war uh neoliberalism game show hosts he is all fit to bring a child into this world of no fault of that child but only of colin and his well, wife and uh you know we applaud him for that
0: Colin's always had a dream and now that he's uh, approaching middle age, I think it's only natural that he is worried that in, he's not going to be able to achieve, um, like living through a full, like Mad Max, uh, post-apocalyptic hellscape where he has his own, like super armored hot rod and like <laughs> leads a gang of Mohawk hooligans. And I, I think that's really reasonable. and I, I understand. Um, the sort of, you know, uh, the feelings that that, you know, cr- the creep on you as, as you age like that. And I, I, and I think it's great that he is passing that dream on to the next generation. And, you know, it, I think it's giving him a lot of comfort to know that even if he cannot achieve that in his lifetime, that his
1: uh, daughters can, um, you know, grow up or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Colin, he has that giant poster in his basement of the Lord's Resistance Army, and it's just a daily reminder of, you know, children so often frequently uh, pressured to live out the dreams of their fathers, and uh, to that, we take our hats off to Colin's children, and uh, uh, may their uh, lives be glorious on the Fury Road in the future. Yeah, Uh, everyone give uh, a Roman salute to
0: uh, Colin's child soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> the Brigade, named for their uh dear departed father um that does not explain why he's not here tonight because how could it he should be here There's <laughs> yeah, no exact.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i put aside my bullshit to be on this podcast and colin's like oh i got children uh, and i can't be here <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's pretty weak it's weak well
1: after. Going from things that I do understand like the Lord's resistance army to things. I don't children. understand like the and children, <laughs> the things I don't understand like the New Yorker. Uh, I heard you heard you yeah, got we're a We're going to read, there, a Greg. foreign text. We're going to read, <laughs> um, this is like, I had to
0: get out, uh, you know, my Rosetta stone. Um, it's what I use for ballast in the boat here. Um, <laughs> and decipher this, uh, it's from a weird exotic, uh, culture. Um, you know, with like, uh, strange, uh, food selling practices, they, they eat weird things. Uh, New Yorkers, everybody. Um,
1: and, uh, <laughs> their food is dog shit, by the way. Take take it from me. Somebody who's been to New York many times, their food fucking sucks ass. I've had New Yorkers take me to restaurants in New York and all those restaurants suck ass. Uh, don't believe anybody about New York shit sucks.
0: Yeah. I just got a real thin crust pizza at the PCC this afternoon so probably better than any PC I ever get in New York. Honestly the PCC pizza is one of the best deals in town because I mean the you can get it by the slice which is great but you if you like have the patience or you call ahead you know you can get like a massive pizza it's real a good thin chewy crust for like 11 bucks or something.
1: Well, I'll tell you a quick uh, funny story about food in New York. I was in Brooklyn one time with a bunch of uh, New Yorkers who took me to a, a quote unquote bar and grill. And we all ordered the, you know, hamburgers or whatever that were on the menu. Yeah, basically. And the, uh, the waiter diligently went down into the basement, pulled our frozen meals out from whatever freezer they had down there Brought them all up and then microwaved them in a microwave in front of us, so that we knew in that they were coming out piping hot, and then fucking set them down in front of us. And uh, you know, best uh, sixteen dollar hamburger I ever had. So that's that's what I, wow. that's my review of New York cuisine right there. Wow, <laughs> that is really something. That and I will say, dude. none of the New Yorkers at the table even flinched about this. <laughs> Look, I don't have the
0: energy. Wow, seriously. That is like, that's fucked up. I don't have the energy for this, but sometime ask me about my experience uh, with the local um, taco chain, Taco Del Mar.
1: we're gonna have a whole episode on taco del mar one day
0: oh dude dude uh don't i don't make me go off because we got other shit to talk
1: about right now <laughs> uh, oh yeah let's get to this new yorker piece what's going okay. on what's, what's going on oh. in that in, in the uh the, what they, what they call it the seattle of the east i hear you heard
0: about this uh coronavirus brian <laughs> you heard about it
1: uh yeah i've, I've heard rumors let's see, let's see uh okay so
0: <laughs> the new yorker uh is a magazine this is from uh, this is the the new issue. This is out today. Let's see if this rings true to you, this uh, this headline. Seattle's leaders let scientists take the lead. New York's <laughs> did not.
1: <laughs> the initial
0: coronavirus outbreaks on the east and west coast emerged at roughly the same time, but the danger was communicated very differently.
1: Okay, well, so one we've thing
0: got two, like Two bingo, two things for your bingo card here. Say what you were going to say.
1: I was going to say the uh, the one thing that we know from all the report on this that's most important about the coronavirus, which I'm sure this is about to get into given the sentence you just read to me, uh, is that it's really just a communications problem. Bingo! It's, just, it's a PR issue. That's the first bingo.
0: <laughs> and I think they make a case in this persuasively. And it's not hard to be persuaded by it that in, you know, pandemic response, there is a PR dimension for sure and i so you know I want to make clear that that is not um and i think that's something we've talked about that's something i've talked about the fact that that was so actually lacking um here um that you know and certainly nationally uh that things are not communicated clearly or forcefully or in any way like robustly like but they don't get into any of that. They don't get into any of my suggestions of like have giant billboards and like people ringing bells on street corners and like signs and shit <laughs> or like whatever fucking bat signal in the air. But no, just making pre- all, all they, the, they only get as deep as the press conference. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is like already just like so fucking limited in your imagination. But also, let's like uh, Seattle's leaders let scientists take the lead. So that's, um, you, you've got PR on your bingo card. You may also mark off technocracy.
1: <laughs> well, the same people that gave us napalm and the atom bomb can't possibly lead us astray. <laughs> and obviously, we actually do want to, yes, rely
0: on the expertise of people who have trained to deal with this shit. And the fact that that hasn't happened is part of the problem. But uh, what they do, I think, what we'll see is what they do here is use this, these two things that they've fished for, basically, to make a case, to build a case backwards. For, like, Seattle's and Washington and King County's response to this being good somehow. And we'll mm-hmm. get to why. I think my theory as to why. Um, okay. The first diagnosis of the coronavirus. Oh, this is by someone called Charles Duhigg, by the way. The first diagnosis of the coronavirus in the United States occurred in mid January. Let's keep that date in mind. In a Seattle suburb, not far from the hospital, where Dr. Francis Riedo, an infectious disease specialist, works. When he heard the patient's details, a 35-year-old man who had walked into an urgent care clinic with a cough and a slight fever and told doctors he'd just returned from Wuhan, China, Riedo said to himself, It's begun.
1: (laughs) And the music swelled.
0: Yeah, he said this to himself in mid-January. Let's keep that this in mind. Um, so <laughs> it goes on to explain again. He is the like epid the infectious disease like uh uh leader at Evergreen. Um, uh, he's an epidemiologist. He has um, trained at uh, the Center for Disease Control uh, in Atlanta in a program known as the. Epidemic Intelligence Service it's ominous oh, oh uh, my God. alumni <laughs> of the EIS are considered America's shock troops in combating disease outbreaks so this two instances of like country. weird imperial <laughs> language getting into here but um, but uh, again let's keep this let's try and keep this in perspective it's going to want to give us like a narrative here that is very specific but I just want to keep in mind the two facts or the one fact mid January and uh let's you know uh contrast that with the phrase shock troops in battling in combating disease outbreaks okay (laughs) um so uh uh okay so um basically he is, throughout this, he's uh, essentially heroized. I'm going to skip like the, the the BS and get into the meat of it here. Uh, yeah, I think we can he's all assume heroicized. that uh,
1: Francis is a cool dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's a cool we'll dude. They try to heroicize cool him for diligently paying attention. So he says, it's begun. And then he pays attention and keeps tabs on all this stuff. Just like, you know, because it's happening right in his hospital. Like, an epidemiologist in a hospital where this is going on is paying attention um, and is (laughs) who he's even doing a little sleuthing. He's even trying to get some tests uh, of people to see uh, if they might have this new disease that he is worried about. Uh, And then uh, fast forward to the end of February when the first U S death happens in his hospital And he realizes in his calculations that hundreds of people were in contact with that person during even just when he was in the hospital and that unrelated people that have no connection are getting diagnosed like the kid in Bothell. Mm -hmm. And he says he called his wife and he's quoted saying, I told her I didn't know when I would be coming home. And then I started emailing everyone I knew to say we were p- past containment. It had already escaped. So I, I sped over it faster than the article did, but not by much. You notice like the key dates mm-hmm. here are mid-jan- mid-January mid and the end mm-hmm. of February. Five plus weeks apart are these events where this uh, supposedly heroic epidemiologist, you know, the the best of us. Uh, one of the great, mm-hmm. you know, technocrats of our civilization, who's one of the reasons we're doing so, you know, so good here is because once, um, uh, you know, someone people started dying uh, and once it was like mathematically pr- clear to him that this was way past containment, like we just skipped that. That's what it like. And this article basically skips that it talks about him doing all this good work while meanwhile, not to lay it on him at all, but our entire society, Seattle and King County uh, included just just did nothing and completely skipped the possibility of of containment over the course of a month and a half
1: yeah so i mean you know the first thing right is that uh you know we lost uh containment or well you never attempted it, so i mean you can't lose a thing you never started but things were happening in that five-week period like jay Inslee bragging about how he had sent his daughter lick any lamppost in town um yeah that doesn't come up know. in this article yeah weird uh things like uh the news being so uh you know that the th- There was no um, urgency or anything in the news or anything about this. So a guy that I know and who's definitely not me might have been sick with a serious and very interesting and odd. uh, He never had before respiratory illness that lasted weeks and was uh, at a school teaching uh, people (laughs) who then also managed to get it again. That's a that's a a guy I know, not me. All right. I do not put
0: it in the first week of February.
1: Yeah, do not put in the papers that it was me. But yeah, yeah uh, so but all see, that that's was happening. This that was what was happening while the, the the great brains were thinking about it.
0: Well, so during that whole period, right, that six weeks period when that the Seattle Times detailed what was happening on the city, state and county level, this article like chooses to focus its, uh, uh, you know, to tell the story through the eyes of this one epidemiologist on the east side. And like Mm -hmm. what he was personally doing, and thus like jumps through time to it was we were past containment. Okay. So we just skipped all of this completely in an article titled uh, Seattle's
1: Leaders Let Scientists Take the Lead, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. Seattle's leaders mysteriously absent. Although I do kind of like the idea that in mid January, he like. Rotated his chair in his office and the blinds like put the shade, like on you know, stripes going yeah. down him. The shade. Real he's warship. like, Yeah, and he's like, It's here. And then just cut five weeks later, he's in the exact same position, still there with it yeah, um, yeah. lines. on, I mean, he's like, Oh, we've lost containment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he sat there and the it's entire
0: like, time, and it's not, for, it's not to, it's not his fault, man. Like, again, he is one of the yeah, yeah. you know, few hundred thousand people who've been through this EIS training, he's one of our nation's shock troops, but. And it talks about him doing things, talking to people around the country, trying to get some testing. And, you know, but it's not like he was running. It doesn't really make a case that he's running like some one-man crusade as the guy at the epicenter of this thing trying to convince every level of government and society that something bad was coming. It's it's yeah, guy so- going into work, punching his card, doing what he can, trying to figure out what's going on diligently. And then, oh, and but he's working in a system that is basically non-existent he is again the shock troop he's one of the people trained by what is supposedly one of the best you know uh systems in the world for disease control at one point we used to brag that um and it does. i mean it's just it's it doesn't matter and of course this article goes into how badly the trump administration has fucked that up how they totally sidelined the cdc etc um but you know it this wants to concentrate on on King County in particular's response. And it's like, again, we just skipped a month and a half. Okay. Um, so it goes on, um, it goes on to highlight, uh, a big part of this EIS, um, you know, epidemic intelligence service. And this makes sense, uh, being training, being about communication that epidemiology is, yeah, it's partly, you know, scientific, but it's also about persuasion and trust, getting information out with a consistent message from a consistent messenger. Um, Again, all things that are true when you're trying to, um, you know, affect uh, mass social behavior. But, like, again, that's... The article is sort of touting this shit as the main ingredient and also a thing that was happening. But, again, we're starting in late February here. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, so we've papered over all these other failures, um, and we're we've limited our imagination essentially to PR. Because I think of what that yeah. does, right? Right? Like when we make this the focus, it's like, well, that's all that could possibly happen. And thus, and if that is your focus, then a PR victory, like someone doing a good PR job, becomes like heroic or becomes governance, like what governance governance mm-hmm. is. And and we just leave everything else uh off the table here. Um so Let's see. On February 28th, around the time the Riedo learned of the COVID-19 cluster at the Life Care Nursing Home, the news was was also relayed to another EIS alum. Ooh, scientists talking to each other. Sexy stuff. Dr. Jeff (laughs) Duchin, the top public health physician for Seattle and surrounding King County. To Duchin, the cluster suggested that there was already an area-wide outbreak he told Dow Constantine, the King County executive, that it was time to start considering restrictions on public gatherings and telling residents to stay home. Now, again, we're talking about February 28th here. By this point, Mm -hmm. like in South Korea, they're like doing massive testing. Uh, You know, the, 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 uh, in Vietnam, they're like the entire, like, uh, culture is coming together to do what is necessary to beat this disease and this guy is like again like our other friend this guy more responsible the actual um you know king county public health dude is like oof, boy looks like there uh it's widespread already let's start trying Mm -hmm. to reduce the widespreadness yeah yeah and uh the author goes on to say This advice struck Constantine as possibly crazy. There were only two dozen COVID-19 diagnoses in the entire nation. Life looked normal. How could people be persuaded to stop going to bars, much less to work, just because a handful of people were sick?
1: (laughs) Well, it sounds like he's really listening to the scientists there.
0: Yeah, right. But, like, also, what we're this is the stakes right so we're we're within our story here we're setting what the chal- the challenges are here we're setting like what the uh what the barriers to success are uh and that is convincing people to do stuff yeah um, yeah essentially these people are cowards um you've got this guy telling again this is about how, this is supposed to be about how king county like reacted so well listened to the scientists did everything right and communicated well and what it, it what the actual thing is telling us is whoo man, when it was really too late, they um, were like, "Oof, man, that sounds nuts. Like uh, us tell people to do different things. I mean, on just on the advice of like the, the, what the numbers are, the scientists are telling us about what's going to happen. Uh, total lack of Im- imagination about, uh, of of anything to do with governance, a total lack of commitment to their own like democratically elected power. Um, And not for like civil libertarian reasons, but for chicken shit political ones. Like they don't want to Constantine is sitting there thinking like, gosh, even if I know like, uh, I mean, I can't get out ahead of this. Like, uh, so he says, Constantine told me Jeff recognized what he was asking for was impractical. This is Constantine talking. He said, yeah. if we advised social distancing right away, there would be zero acceptance. And so the question was, what can we say today so that people will be ready to hear what we need to say tomorrow? In emails and phone calls, the men began playing a game. What was the most extreme advice they could give that people would, wouldn't would scoff at? Considering what would likely be happening four days from then, what would they regret not having said? See, oh, we're all vi- we're all very <laughs> clever. You see, w- we knew what the right thing to do was. We we're all intelligent leaders. We know uh, that you know, even if without total certainty, the right thing to do is to act and to act fast, and to have probably all already acted a month ago. Um, but people would yell at us and say we're and call us dumb. So better to like mm-hmm. game out a slow roll
1: well and again it's almost as if you've lived your entire political life with the motto that you know we don't want any more government than we need right that you've uh predestined yourself to fail in these situations right one you've delegitimized the role of the state in any in, in acting in any way right so of course you know what would people say if we came and told them uh, there's a great danger and they should uh you know let us act right well of course they're not going to believe us because we've told them forever that the state is dumb and stupid and is the problem right um and at the same time too like in their own minds they've delegitimized the action of the state too i think it's more than just like uh you know what can oh, we absolutely. do all we can do yeah. is uh yards they can't they just don't imagine feel they have the right to do anything they yeah. can't imagine yeah.
0: what would be in their power to do and i'm not talking about they can't even imagine their power to communicate. This is all about communication. But as I've talked about before, yeah. like their idea of communication is press conferences and asking people to do a few small things. Even they, it turns out they thought even that was a big deal. So they're like, ooh, how can we say as little as possible in this pre- press conference and really like work up to it? And I'm that just is mind blowing. Yeah. Like, again, like. How do we make sure people get it it's serious they don't blow us off? Well, you have power to do things. You can make it seem more serious than a dipshit politician talking at a podium. There are things, there are ways you can communicate that could commu- that could show people that this is serious. But you can tell there is a resistance to mm-hmm. to doing that. There's a just a terror at the idea of making a big deal out of anything making the state seem necessary make you know and i think also yeah. just you know for all that this article being about how they supposedly like believe the scientists like i think it's clear like they they had a hard time really believing that this was real at this point if this is the way they were talking
1: yeah i think if the talking about science- covering
0: their ass is all they're really the conversation they're having Wait.
1: Oh, yeah. And if the scientists, you know, knew what they say they knew and were saying what they say were they, say, that they were saying, which we do believe, uh, then I, and if the, you know, county commissioner, you know, the county health office was believing the scientists and trusting them, then we would have seen a uh, much more severe action than we saw and a lot less foot dragging. But we saw was foot dragging. Yeah, because they want to get yelled at mainly by businesses. And yeah, I mean, they just didn't want to they didn't want the pressure of actually having to act and actually do something.
0: No, I mean, that's a really good point, because. Yeah. Part of possibly part of what they're thinking was, was a, oh, we need public, we need to ramp this up so that we have public pressure and press pressure so that we can shut down like Boeing and, uh, you know, and business basically, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe just a reality. But again, uh, yeah, I, again, that's fine. It's so again, like the epidemiologist, it's ultimately not look, it's not, uh, this isn't all Constantine or Inslee's fault. They are, I don't think, acquitting themselves particularly heroically as this ship and a lot of people would like to claim, but they exist within a system that is, that that's the should be the real point, is they exist within a system mm-hmm. that is absolutely dysfunctional and totally incapable of dealing with this in the way that you would want it to. And also they don't recognize that and aren't even really able
1: to sort of come to terms with that and respond
0: with that knowledge. Um, Yeah, they don't
1: recognize the ways the system's already enclosed them. And yeah, I mean, I think the way they see it is that, yeah, the battlefield in which we work is, of course, the battlefield of PR and business can, you know, meet us on that battlefield and even overpower us as we're seeing them do and, you know, uh, Coke funded groups doing state after state. Yeah. And, And again, it's like, oh well, yeah, you've already lost because you've allowed your vision to be so narrow that it's just like, well, if I go out and I say this, what if Boeing comes out and says something else? And, you know, that that your your whole vision is like, all I can do is just tell them things. That's it. Yep. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, that makes uh, this next part make more sense. Because, like, so what they came up with was, ah, uh, if we start talking about school closures, that will send a big reverberations that get people, even before we do it, that get people thinking about this as serious. So they say, while the logistics of classroom closures were being worked out, Constantine contacted Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, which is headquartered in (laughs) Redmond, East Seattle. All right, we got to listen to the scientists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And asked him to consider ordering employees to work from home. Microsoft is a big deal here, Constantine told me. I thought if they told everyone to stay home, it could shift how the state was thinking and make the pandemic real now you got to give them i i guess i kind of got to give them credit in this regard i get within these constraints that we've just talked about if that's how they're feeling anyway again i think their imagination is very small but you know if they were worried about having trouble getting bow into clothes asking microsoft and amazon to do it first you know which they can do without any real you know barely any loss of productivity if at all um was a smart move like it was an easy move for those people to stay home and like Really show the whole region like that—that that it was serious, you know. Because again, because then it, it also no one—it didn't come out that this was at the urging of the county, right? Like it, the story that came out was Microsoft asked everyone to work from home, and then a couple days later, Amazon asked everyone who can to work from home, and then that was like, oh, like, well, that's a message we believe. If these people, oh my gosh, if these, uh technocratic you know business geniuses and programmers like believe the thing the right thing to do is to stay home then you know then Mm -hmm. i mean as gods on earth then they're probably the people we should be listening to and then constantine doesn't have to have stuck his neck out
1: i was gonna say i think it's a quiet admission of who holds the power in this situation too right like uh we yeah we need to act on this disease let me go talk to microsoft real fast right us, the government, who runs the health authority, let us go talk to Microsoft and see if it's okay, right? You know, it's quite admission that, you know, these businesses are the ones who actually hold the power, right? They're also the ones who hold legitimacy, too. I mean, because it's not just like let's go ask Microsoft and Amazon for permission, and then yeah. we'll go to Boeing and ask them for permission. It's that, let's ask them to do it, and, and then if they do it, it'll make what we're doing look legitimate because, you know, again, these are the masters of the universe, right? The smartest guys in the room and Microsoft, whereas we're just the uh, bumbling yeah. dumb fucks, you know, who run the government, right? <laughs> you know, so, again, so it's quite a mission, too, of, like, who has legitimacy versus who doesn't.
0: Hey, and you know, I, I'm not here to sort of uncritically, um, uh, simp for unrestrained and totally legitimate state power. Uh, I think, you know, it would be different, uh, if this was them going and n- coordinating and negotiating with like the windows worker collective where, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, they're talking to, to, um, billionaires with direct control over thousands of people's lives and indirect influence on you know
1: billions well i think the thing to keep in mind with sort of what you just brought up too is that look i mean the the state at its very basic level right it derives its legitimacy from its ability to do just a few basic things you know provide for the common defense and all that shit but one thing would be like uh when something like a massive pandemic hits it really is the function of the state to step in. This is—I feel like this isn't asking for you know rainbows or pie in the sky. Like it really is. I mean, this is well, why. why, why build,
0: yeah,
1: why do you build governments <laughs> if not for this reason? Right, like it, it is the classic lighthouse problem. Well, there's, like, there's nothing else in the that possibly could. Yeah. And it's and and I think it shows the complete dysfunction of the state dysfunction when it comes to serving, you know, common good. Right. Not dysfunction when it comes to moving wealth from your pocket, to you know, the pockets of capital, but the dysfunction of, you know, the state and the sort of uh, social studies and the sixth grade sense of its ability to serve the common good in this country. Like it, it just literally cannot. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think even with the best people with the best intentions, I don't think it can do it just because of how the society's set up.
0: Yeah, well, Constantine told me that he understands why politicians want to be front and center and take credit. This is great, uh, and he noted that. Seattle has many of the same problems as you see here in Congress with the partisanship and toxicity. But he said, everyone, Republicans and Democrats, came together behind one message and agreed to let the scientists take the lead. I mean, what a what bigger stream of bullshit has ever been uttered? I love this. (laughs) Again, what great spin of this here? He's like, listen, I understand why politicians want to be out front and center, but I'm above that. Because I'm a coward who doesn't want to be out front and center. He's trying to like spin mm-hmm. this as some sort of technocratic nobility, you know, yeah, yeah. like where he's like, I, I was willing for you know Microsoft to uh, take the lead on this, and I was willing, <laughs> you know, I'm just a behind the scenes player. I'm not really a leader
1: in any way. Um, yeah, my absence of leadership and, is the true sign of my leadership.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and then what this. Uh, I mean this is like the Seattleification of American politics or whatever is that what he's talking about here? and then everyone <laughs> Republicans and Democrats came together behind one message. there are no Republicans in power uh, I mean I guess maybe on the in the King County Council, but um still yeah what are we talking what what the fuck are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, when we're talking, at, uh, you know, at this point in the game, uh, in this point of the story, right, where we're mainly looking at Western Washington, it's like, oh, there's there's no Republicans to speak of, right? And, you know, honestly, by the time that, you know, shit got so bad that they started to actually take it seriously in King County and actually take it seriously in Seattle, they were already actually taking it seriously at the state level. And again, it's like, all oh, it was just bodies. It was just body count <laughs> that made people like start to do something. It, you know, I mean, I, I would point. Again, to the, we just briefly talked about it, to The but the Seattle Times actually did a very good write-up of the state's response to the early days of this crisis. And I got to tell you, there wasn't a lot of listening to scientists in it. There was a lot of foot dragging. There was a lot of bullshitting. There was a lot of well, absolutely yeah. dumbass Trump-like advice. But there wasn't a lot of listening to anybody. But yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of PR in it. That was for sure.
0: Dude, no, dude. You were being played. Brian, you are being played by the PR geniuses at the county. Because, mm-hmm. as it says here... By the time Seattle schools were formally closed on March 11th, so two weeks <laughs> after this conversation. Um <laughs> least, it throws, in, least throws in the phrase, by the time. Um, that's the most <laughs> skepticism in this entire article. Okay? You know,
1: by the time we shut the gates after the vandals were already inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh by the
0: time schools were formally closed on March 11th, Students and teachers were already abandoning their classrooms. The messaging had worked. Parents were voluntarily keeping their kids home. Cell phone tracking data showed that in the preceding week, the number of people going to work had dropped by a quarter. Within days, even before Washington's governor, Jay Inslee, issued official work-from-home orders, almost half of Seattle's workers were voluntarily staying away from their offices. When bars and restaurants officially closed on March 15th again, two months after it begins, uh, Mm -hmm. many of them were already empty. Constantine himself had been working from home for a week, blah, blah, blah. So basically what they're saying is guys, you were played. This was all part of the plan. This was genius. Genius. (laughs) <laughs> they The they, slow roll got people slowly doing this before so that they were all always intentionally behind the rest of the community on these orders so that by the time Jay Inslee issued an official order, half the people, the people, you know, who it's really easy to work from home, um, like mm-hmm. a lot of Seattle um, professionals, uh, uh, tech workers in particular, were already doing so. You could see it from the commute. Ooh. Um. So really, yeah, man, it was all and it's like, again, in this very narrowly constrained world, I guess you can see that in some way this was marginally effective. But the point of the article is that this was good. It's not like a. it's not it, mm-hmm. this should all these details should be evidence of how our entire system is garbage and that <laughs> maybe maybe King County kind of bumbled through it sort of. Not in the most disastrous way, um, but they sort of leveraged like what they could to sort of um, sort of squeak through uh, a tie with the virus. Like, mm-hmm. but I,
1: oh god! Well, likely the real story is that there was enough rich people in Seattle and in the Seattle area. Uh, that were scared they were going to die because a poor was going to cough on them. That you know the county and the state were able to act. Like when the when the story of this is told five years from now, that'll probably be the reality. But I mean, this is written by people who think like uh, the movie The King's Speech was the most important movie about World War II. I mean, this is just jerk off. <laughs> 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 I mean, just
0: jerk off. Bullshit. Don't fucking get me started. Okay. Yeah, now I want to uh, have I want you to recall the dates, right? You know, um Jan yeah. mid-January, end of February, March 15th is what we're up to now and that phrase by the time Seattle schools were formally closed. And then I want to read the next paragraph just to have that all in your mm-hmm. mind. What I say, the county had bought a motel to house homeless residents who tested positive for the coronavirus. When one homeless man at the hotel, who was asymptomatic, left to buy a beer, Constantine immediately went to court so that police could arrest him the next time he went out. The man's actions had posed little risk. He had gone to a gas station across the street, then returned. But Constantine told me, The fact is, some people are not going to follow the rules, and we need to show everyone there are
1: consequences.
0: He immediately
1: went to court. I mean, imagine writing this and not getting the irony of it in any way. Like, you have paragraphs about going and asking pretty please to Microsoft, could you please not kill all your employees? Could you just ask them to work from home? It'd make us all look good and all this kind could of you stuff. please
0: essentially govern for us?
1: Yeah. And then uh homeless guy buys beer at gas station. Well, you know, gas chamber you know uh, skip the trial straight to the gas chamber I mean you know again it just couldn't be any more naked how dysfunctional this you know the state is like you know I mean the state in the big sense little s state how dysfunctional the state is in America and how capitalism and inequality is the root of that dysfunction
0: well but also how and what we come back to right like the stick man they have yeah. this. What this demonstrates is the county, the state has like no imagination about the possibility of of governance, whatever that would look like. Just they feel like they are so completely constrained, hemmed in by an inability to communicate, a total lack of legitimacy to act in their own eyes, except when it comes to the stick, except when it comes to enforcement by the police state, uh, when it comes to imprisonment and um you know charging people with crimes and particular and oh. so because of that when constantine sees a perfect like dog whistle opportunity like ooh what what's that a homeless guy went to buy beer uh it's just like ooh yeah jump on it this is what government is for this is what i was elected for now is my time to fucking shine
1: <laughs> well, and I think the thing, too, is that, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, the stick, too, is very contingent, right? The stick, when it comes to groups that are politically and economically, uh, you know, disenfranchised enough, disempowered, that uh, you can hit them with the stick, right? And again, only the stick, right? You you, you don't give yeah, them anything. whatsoever. That's where
0: the state has legitimacy. Yeah. That's the legitimate power they feel they have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, it's sort of a, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 a version of the sort of southern sort of planter aristocracy where the planters basically legally had the right to do whatever the fuck they wanted, uh, but there was an intense and very centralized you know uh, state power in the south. It just only existed for slaves and poor whites, right? You know, like it's a it's a fairly similar system. I mean, essentially, wealth yeah. does whatever it wants. There is no criminal horizon they can't you know cross and transcend. Uh, but the rest of us we will definitely get the stick. That's where the state all of a sudden shows up and uh, shows its, uh, its ability to act. I mean, just fucking astonishing. Yeah, it's pretty grim.
0: Now, all this is ultimately, again, let's return to the headline. Um, Seattle's leaders let scientists take the lead. New York's did not. Uh, <laughs> and that, I think we start to get to like the... The sort of place from which this was worked backwards because they begin to talk. He begins to talk about, um, New York's response saying basically like, uh, you know, these things started at pretty much exactly the same time. Um, you know, cases were diagnosed in New York very shortly after here. Um, but they got out of control much more quickly in New York and their death count is, you know, uh, over 15,000 or something at this point and ours is like 700 um mm-hmm. and so the, and I think like now you know we've talked about the limit of imagination of like government uh here and this is I think you know the limit of the imagination of the press this is New York media who is looking for ways to respond to to have a tough um take to I mean maybe to fe- you know feeling like righteous about this is my like psychoanalysis of of this is like, you know, this is uh, a magazine looking for a way to have a righteous take contrary to the like month of puff that Governor Cuomo has gotten Matt out Cuomo, of not. his press conferences, um, you know, being tough on coronavirus, supposedly. And, you know, and it's starting people are starting to get skeptical of that. So I think they're they're behind the curve on that. I don't know what their other reporting has been on it. And, but they go on to say, like, you know, yes, it's true. Like, okay, New York has more international travelers. uh, It's more dense. There's more poverty. And these are things that are all true of Seattle, but um, admittedly less so. (laughs) Uh, And then, but then they're like, basically, I think they were looking for a comparison. They want to be tough on New York, they want to be tough on Cuomo, and they need something to compare it to within America. You have to find... Yeah, because anything else would be If you're going to criticize New York City... Exactly. If you're going to criticize New York City, you've got to find something to compare it to within America. This is the limit of imagination here. And so once you accept that premise, or once you are sort of blind to anything but that premise... The rest of it writes itself. You know, New York is corrupt and venal. Seattle is technocratic, futuristic, and competent. There and progressive. There's these sort of yeah. tropes and assumptions that this sort of article is easily plugged into. Um, when, again, like, yeah, maybe it's true that the response here was better than New York. But again, like, what the fuck is the comparison here? Like, by all accounts, it was still fucking bungled here. Um, and we- is really like... Uh, really like an an example of a failed system.
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the purpose of this article or the thesis of this article is New York bungled this. The bludgeon with which they plan to hit the city and state government of New York uh, with is the city of Seattle. And because of that, they just fly by All the problems that happen in Seattle that are what you know are like one in the same of the problems they actually had in New York, right? I mean, you could have an interesting story about how the United States has just bungled this as a whole, no matter what city you look at, right? Right? Because this
0: is like New York did bad, but it is possible in a blue state, you know, modern Mm -hmm. city in America, you can do this right. That's not impossible, and that's a lie, it is impossible in America because our health system and our society and our governance is completely. Um, like Mudeedee said, there is no bottom. Uh, the floor has dropped out of America. Um, so they say it's also true, however, that the city, when saying like, you know, there were some things stacked against New York. Um, so what do they really get to with what happened in New York? It's also true, however, that the city's leaders acted and communicated very differently in the early stages of the pandemic. Seattle's leaders moved <laughs> fast to persuade people to stay home and follow the scientists' advice. Again, just remember the date.
1: Yeah, New York's leaders constantly were argued about whether or not the meatball was a spicy. <laughs> so they didn't get around yeah, to yeah. communicate. <laughs> New York's leaders,
0: despite having a highly esteemed public health department, moved more slowly. Offered more muddied messages and let policy, politicians' voices dominate. Listen, I mean, this pers- this guy, obviously didn't read the new, the the Seattle Times like takedown of the counties, mm-hmm. uh, the the, county's, yeah, the county uh, and the state public response, system yeah. that totally, you know, fucked this for a month and a half when you know it was raging in nursing homes and was out of control before anyone started to act at all, as was just detailed uh, if you were actually reading the article Mm. and not just sort of like eyes glazed over looking for buzzwords. Um, Public health officials say that um, uh, public health officials say that American culture uh, poses special challenges. Our freedoms to assemble, to speak our minds, to ignore good advice and to second guess Authority can facilitate the spread of a virus. We're not China. We can't order people to stay inside. Besser said, "Democracy is a great thing, but it means for something like COVID nineteen, we have to persuade people to cooperate if we want to save our li- save their lives." And that's actually from early in the article. I was just saving it for now because it's basically like it has this. It's a little skeptical of democracy, and it blames that our sort of intrinsic ideas of freedom and then and our democracy on. It, it blames our lack of sort of imagination about government or our lack of even like ability to even consider how to how to convince people and the fact that convincing people is such a challenge and that PR feels to these politicians like such a challenge basically on democracy itself, which I think is really telling.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the main problem that, could potentially happen with this pandemic, from the you know perspective of capital, right? Is that people could look at it and go, "Hey, um, why do we not have a functional healthcare system in the richest country on the planet? Hey, how come a country is much poorer than ours that we, you know, our own president calls a shithole and all this kind of stuff?" Uh, how come they can actually act and function in an appropriate way? How come poor people are essentially just left out to die in this crisis? Uh, and then they might actually start to uh, come up with some pretty easy answers to that, which is for profit, right? And so they're having to try and spend some sort of narrative, and we can see them working on it right now, spend some sort of narrative about how it's this is not a... a the fault of systemic flaws and the structure of the United States. Right. Well, how could it be? Cause Seattle succeeded. Right? Exactly. Right. So Well, and it's why you can't use any examples of the, uh, the wily Asian, right. You know, resolving this. I mean, well, it's the fight over China. Talk
0: about the actual, you can't make the actual case here. Compare New York, the global epicenter of like shitstorm, to, um, the like, uh, like batting a thousand,
1: uh, you know, communist state of Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you you just ignore Vietnam and South Korea entirely, right? Uh, In the case of China, like, you know, Seattle's probably not a great comparison to New York. You know what it is? Fucking Wuhan. It's the exact same fucking size as New York. (laughs) It has massive urban density, um, but you can't... Lots of international travel. Yeah. And you can't do that either because they were successful there, right? And you can't, like, point to the reasons why it was successful. Despite it actually being the apparent starting point
0: where Mm -hmm. you can, it took them, you know, two weeks from when they first started seeing, seeing enough of a pattern in hospitals where doctors were going, wait a minute, something's here. These people, we've got a number of these respiratory cases that are testing negative for the flu and everything else. What's going on. And after that point it was, yeah, like 10 days before like they were, uh, alerting the entire world and like doing really starting to do massive things
1: there. Yeah, I know? mean they were dealing with that two fucking months. Yeah, they're dealing with it when it was an unknown virus and you know you're they didn't even know where it was coming from, much less what it was. Whereas you know here it's like you had every advantage, not just time wise, but it's like you had every advantage money wise and everything else and. it's shaping up to the United States is going to have, you know, as we predicted the worst fucking response internationally, at least of any country that has a currently operating and not collapsed state, you know? And, and it's, uh, but you, you know, there's gonna be everything to deflect attention away from that. Uh, and I mean, that's what all this shit is about. I mean, beginning the New Yorker article with the whole bullshit about like the United States has uh, unique problems and the freedom to uh, assemble and the freedom of whatever. It's like, do you really think nobody in China is allowed to go outside ever? Like, I mean, you understand everybody in the world goes outside and intermingles with other human beings. What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Like this is like a yeah. just completely made up horse shit. But it's basically have you not heard about the wet markets? Yeah, it's just a complete cover. Well, I mean like they wouldn't have to have a lockdown order if people were allowed weren't allowed to go outside to begin with. Right. So it's one of those things of like, it's just this horse shit that they like throw up in these articles to sort of absolve the united states from its failure to actually do anything for the people that live here right like oh it's just our unique problems. so those rights you have that literally exist in every other fucking country on the planet and also have nothing to do with like this disease i mean the question is do people you know go out and have contact with each other that's called fucking i mean it's the internet joke that's called society all right it exists everywhere <laughs> even yeah. in failed states it exists <laughs> like
0: <Yeah>. well uh <sighs> <laughs> you know Hey, we continu- continuing to win here. This article doesn't bring up uh, Jay Inslee's new uh, Super Friends Pact, which we talked about <laughs> on the last Patreon episode. Oh, I guess that went, we, we released that wide, but um, about the new uh, Super League of uh, Extraordinary States with him and Newsom and Kate Brown in Oregon and how that's uh, about a pact to figure out the right ways to reopen the economy, uh, I guess a phrase they he took from donald trump i guess yeah <laughs> um and so of course now um you know boeing has gone back to work um insley just laid out yesterday or day before um a 30 point plan to get construction back open mm-hmm. in, in washington
1: which was allowed to so stay open a lot longer than everything and, else too and it just had a
0: very yeah, big shutdown as was Boeing. Uh, aerospace and, uh, real estate back in business, everybody. Mm -hmm. Great.
1: Weird. Uh, those are two very big, uh, money players and both our local and state government. And miraculously, they're all able to send their workers back. Uh, you know, the real estate. Hey, since they've been listening to the scientists, (laughs) which I I guess is, uh,
0: means that, um, they're going to do what all the scientists are actually saying, which is massive testing. Uh, Oh, wait. I haven't heard anything about that. In fact, they specifically didn't promise that when talking about the super state Protestant (laughs) League.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, That did not appear in their uh, their little oath for the state. I mean, you know, just a joke, too. And I mean, like construction, which, you know, in the city of Seattle, we're talking large construction projects, you know, a couple hundred workers on them at any one time. And Boeing, you know, the shop up in Everett, where you have literally a city's worth of people in it at any one time. I mean, Literally in one building. Yeah, one building. Yeah, yeah. Comically in one building. The largest,
0: the largest uh, by volume building in the world, <laughs> which is one giant Uh, open one giant massive hangar yeah Um, it has has streets
1: in it that you drive around on like if you have like a mule or whatever these little work trucks they drive through them on streets with like stoplights and crosswalks and shit that's how big the fucking building is and I know people that work there and they have told me at least right before you know they were sent home uh, this first time that there was nothing for cleaning anything there, there was nothing for you know sterilizing well, anything. See, there will be now. You know? uh, oh yeah, I'm sure there will be an empty container of wipes and an empty bottle of uh you know hand sanitizer every 500 feet. You know, I mean,
0: no, look, they'll figure it, they'll they'll. Look it's like I said, they will have they will do the bare minimum now that the heads have gotten together in a room mm-hmm. and figured out what to say to the press and how to have these point plant, you know, thirty point plans so that there's always an answer for everything. They will have the bare minimum. They'll have masks, they'll have gloves. they'll have hand sanitizer, and they'll have signs that instruct employees what to do. And they'll have emails that go out that instruct employees what to do. And it'll all look very official and professional. and, uh you know maybe if we had testing to go with it then that would be okay but since we don't yeah. um this is mostly bullshit yeah
1: and you know for our listeners we'll go ahead and do a follow up on uh you know Boeing's uh PPE over there but yeah i mean it's just it's so naked and obvious i mean to even pretend in any way that this was this decision was made on any line other than the wealthiest people came and complained to me about this you know i mean what a fucking joke uh the funny part is the housing you know the argument for the housing in Seattle is that well we're in a housing crisis that's why we got to get all the construction workers back and it's like they're all building condos for millionaires um, who gives a shit <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> it's like they're building block housing or anything out here <laughs> like, <laughs> what a joke
0: yeah dude um, yeah uh, as usual uh, it totally sucks uh, <laughs> I think we're I feel like we're out of time to talk about the snowhoe sheriff uh, maybe we should say yeah, that for Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I'm just getting boat pilled more and more every day over here. Uh, about to start uh, <laughs> rebuilding. I, I don't even want to say what I'm about to start rebuilding. Um, <laughs> yep. That's me. Uh, this has been fun, Brian. I hope uh, uh, we can, I'm, I hope uh, we get some play out of uh, sticking it to the New Yorker, big national media, big, big elite New York uh, media outlet.
1: Yeah, uh, boy. Yeah, this has been the week of uh, very small players in the game taking down big players in the game via you know new media <laughs> and social media. And uh, boy, will the New Yorker's face be red when this podcast hits the ground running?
0: Oh, uh, the embarrassing New Yorker magazine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. uh, yeah. if we have any patrons, who the fuck knows? That's uh, honestly Colin's oh. job, and he's slipping on it. Oh no, no Jacob. It. Jacob. There's a Jacob. All right. Well, Jacob. uh, Jacob, welcome to the fold. Could be Jacob. Uh, We have no idea.
0: You too can be a sucker. (laughs) Uh, All all it requires is the uh, monthly one, the price of one Starbucks latte uh, nearest to your house a month. Um, Yeah, just that and a true heart. Support this podcast. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, And uh, we'll be your best friends forever. There's like an 85 to 90% chance he'll end up on the show sometime. Um, (laughs) The only uh, thing we promised that's actually turned out. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so thanks, Jacob. Uh, Other than that, uh, obviously shit all still sucks. uh, But, you know, hi to uh, Cullen's new kid in the world. Uh, You know, may uh, God shine his light down on this child as they go into battle at age eight. Uh, with Colin as general, <laughs> his child army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: uh, you know, this podcast will be like um, what they listen to when they're like training with bamboo sticks or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like, just um, speaking of actually, you want a, a quarantine recommendation? I've been actually binging um, uh, our our weird old Uncle Alex's Doomed Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's got some. He's got some crazy Seattle like lore stories that are actually really really cool actually basically if you just want to know whether something is satanic or not satanic uh listen to doomed planet
1: yeah yeah uh, that guy has he had his real finger on the pulse of uh weird people in seattle for a long time so yeah that podcast rules i'd also like to throw yes he had the finger on his neck <laughs> yeah Oh. um <laughs> One more Seattle-based recommendation out for people out there. Uh, the On YouTube, the SB Nation series, uh, the SB Nation channel on YouTube is, is doing a six-part series on the Mariners. Part five is dropping this week. And I know you're listening to a six-part series on the Seattle Mariners, a team that never wins anything and fucking sucks. Like, that's got to be awful. It is... Fascinating, just amazing Seattle lore of a team full of uh, criminals, uh, drug users. and just bizarre characters. Can't recommend it enough. It's fucking amazing. Uh, it's 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 uh, failure. behind the dugout. Yeah, just and just finding new and unique ways to fail at higher and higher levels. And uh, I will say, I'll give you a little sneak preview that I think it's in the second episode. Uh, coordinated vomiting in the outfield in the middle of a game becomes a theme in <laughs> the second episode, or is a, a story in the second episode. So definitely check that wow. out. Jay Buhner, um, fucking king. That's all I can say. Oh, a- absolute king.
0: Um, <laughs> Lupinella, total king as well. Um, Randy Johnson. I mean, mm-hmm. all,
1: all you got to say is his name. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you'll fall in love with Ken Griffey Jr. all over again. It's, 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 it's really? I, it is really he comes off he comes off well. Uh, sympathetic. I think is maybe the way to say it. Um, okay, all I, right. I, but like heroic but in a baseball. Of course,
0: Edgar's the king,
1: right? It, Ed, oh, Edgar's yes. the guy. Edgar, right? yes, absolutely. like I'm sure
0: it's mostly about Edgar, right? And then occasionally, aside to like how much we hate Alex Rodriguez. Is that basically the whole documentary? <laughs> you sum it up.
1: Uh, well, at this point, we've only had A Rod's first two seasons, and we're, oh, we're moving okay. on from there. But oh, so still like.
0: Still, We're in the '90s. Still, uh,
1: yeah, all right, but it is legitimately fantastic. I I have recommended to a ton of people who don't even give a shit about sports or baseball, and they are all like hooked on it. I don't yeah, they're all hooked on it. They love it. it. It's worth watching. I don't. I resent that I even know those names. <laughs> so, but
0: '90s Seattle baseball was uh, was a thing because the Mariners like almost made it a couple of times. So uh, yeah, people really gave a shit. If a team does well in Seattle. Man, dude, the whole town goes fucking uh, like nuts. But other than that, like no. One yeah, you're gonna joke.
1: find out. I think I can't remember, it's either ninety-six or ninety-seven, they had a team that was so comically stacked with future Hall of Famers who were literally playing some of the best baseball all their fucking lives that year. Uh, and they still didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, just finding new innovative ways to fail at just the you know, highest levels. I mean, it's it's a story of failure, <laughs> really. <laughs> it's, it's astonishing. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Definitely watch right. it, guys. It. Uh, that being said, Seattle still sucks. And, uh, oh, yeah. And uh, we'll catch all of you guys next time. Pay for the patrons. They so can hear the next episode, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I say good luck to Colin. And uh, hopefully we see him again sometime uh, in this lifetime.
0: <laughs> he's given a, a reprieve. Yeah, <laughs> it used to be. See, it used to be he 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 was on the podcast because before the quarantine, he could just uh like tell his wife he had to go out and get a pack of cigarettes and just not come back for six hours. <laughs> in which case, up uh, in which time a podcast was recorded. And now he's like, he can't come up with another excuse to like. Mm-hmm. It, so. Yeah, we gotta lift this score. Well, all right. <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye.